0: sometimes dead is better. The Indians knew that. they stopped using that burial ground the ground went sour. Don't think about doing it Lewis. The place gets holier. the place is evil. Sometimes dead is better.
1: Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel.
2: I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane?
0: Look at
1: me, Damien. It's all for you.
0: I am the eater of wool. End of season. You know it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to One Good Scare.
3: Hello everyone and welcome to another terrifying installment of the greatest October in the history of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number one hundred and eleven. Pet Cemetery. So, tis the season. We're back, finally. Finally, we can really cut loose once again. Yeah, have some fun on this show. <laughs> That'd be a nice change of pace. It would be. It'd for be interesting. For both right. the
2: listeners and ourselves. Yes, yeah, it'd be something. So, anyway,
3: yes, we are, in fact, kicking off another Greatest October. It's going to be a huge month. We have so much fun stuff planned for everybody.
2: Absolutely. People always kind of just... Holding on, waiting to see what that list of October topics is going to be. I figured we could kick off the 2018 Greatest
3: October the same way we kicked off 2017, which is Stephen King adaptation. Oh, is that true? We did It. All right. The original It. Okay, yeah. My other favorite Stephen King novel, Pet Cemetery, 1989 film directed by Mary Lambert. What's your connection with this movie, your history with it?
2: Not much. I was more scared of the idea of it than the actual thing because I don't think I ever saw it until I was an adult.
3: Oh, okay. So you only saw this within, what, the last 10 years or something? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
2: I saw both Pet
3: Cemetery 1 and 2... Probably like mid nineties
2: on USA network. I was definitely aware of a movie Pet Cemetery existing and certainly that it was a Stephen King novel. And the idea of it seemed scary to me. The title alone, really.
3: (laughs) Not really knowing much about it. As a kid I was like very fearful of misspellings. I was like
2: dead animals.
3: (laughs) For me, I was a big loser all my life and so I was really into reading especially in middle school and whatever. So I would go to the library and get Stephen King novels when I was still pretty young. Yeah,
2: having a an impact, I'd say. Yeah, and so paved the way I was for definitely obsessed
3: with Pet Sematary for years of my life. Yeah. To the point where I can remember some of my first times being on the internet. Searching up yeah. Pet cemetery related websites or whatever. I, I just remember searching it on like whatever search
2: engine was hot. I can see in the the, uh, the it <laughs> obsession with just the sort of depth of everything that's involved in that novel, from what you've told me. But with this one, just seeing the movie, it just seems like it feels like there's not a lot there. But I'm sure the novel. I, I don't know. I, I guess like with the kids from it, I can see where one would get so invested in everything but in this movie it just feels like there's a smaller group of characters and not that many to latch on to each book is different yeah <laughs> okay they're not all
3: go. gonna be like two thousand page <laughs> right
2: <laughs> things like it but i don't know i'm just saying like just from the movie i, I don't really take away like oh there's more that i want to look into here i think that the idea of pet cemetery is potentially
3: more interesting than that of it at times there's the history of it the thing being there in that town oh, yeah. for all of those centuries and coming back every 27
2: years and stuff that's cool that's a piece of it that always seemed like interesting to me
3: yeah but there's parts of it where you're kind of like it seems lame even in the book whereas the idea of pet cemetery is really about the dark heart of a man grieving like it's really like a personal upsetting taboo topic it is like yeah it's Especially in 89, I mean, now there's so many movies and there's like, you can find a Lars Van movie that's as depraved as possible. But the idea of a huge Mack truck running over a child. That's true. That is dark. It's it's just uh, hopeless. And then the heart-wrenching part of it, which obviously is better described and better laid out in the book, of just a, a father digging up his own son And just, like, sitting there, like, holding his body in the graveyard. I mean, it's, like,
2: really. And this is, like, what you were really drawn to as a young. As a youth. As a kid. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I was definitely intrigued
3: by the movie. Right. Because the sequences with Zelda are the scariest fucking things ever. Yeah. And are still, in my opinion, more scary than, like, almost any movie that comes out now
2: yeah it is uh it's a little nuts Her, The look disturbing. is a little
3: bit a
2: little bit goofy but
3: we well, can talk about that when we get there but i mean right. they wanted it to be off they didn't oh, want yeah. it to look like a right if it because zelda in reality was like a 12 year old girl oh yeah right i mean it's not that scary even if yeah, she's d- it's more sad to see a 12 year old girl with a disease but they wanted yeah. to make it upsetting and so it is upsetting yeah and seeing that as a kid, I mean, all horror movies really are f- for kids in a way. Because, I mean, hopefully as an adult, you're not actually going to be scared. By well, hold
2: on. <laughs> I certainly am. So, I mean, after we saw Hereditary, I was like, there was like nights afterwards that I would just be like <laughs> thinking about things. The lights, sleeping with the lights <laughs> on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Hereditary was upsetting,
3: but a lot of people were not into it and were bored by it. It's hard to really capture something that everyone can agree on. But for me, seeing Pet Cemetery as a kid and experiencing those Zelda scenes, it was really a lot to take. I'm
2: sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. If I saw this when I was a kid, it would completely freak me out.
3: Yeah, I was and especially
2: easily freaked out.
3: And obviously, as we go, we're gonna get more into scene by scene what's happening but the ending yeah i mean especially viewing that as an adult you're like this is crazy i will
2: say there is one part of this that was really unsettling to me the first time that i saw the movie and it's actually not the kid getting killed but i don't know it's just the way when they go past the pet cemetery for the first time when judd takes him up the hill Going over those trees and through the, I don't know that part kind of really because I just wasn't expecting it to be like this vast journey through like these dark trees and then you get to the top and there's actually this old like Indian whatever it is. Yeah, I I, like I always loved place. the look of it.
3: Right. I even loved. I mean, I don't really believe necessarily in guilty pleasure movies, but I understand that Pet Cemetery Two is not a good movie. Yet I still enjoy it a lot okay yeah i just like the whole thing like the whole folklore of this story and there's a lot more to it and i think there's like an interesting i don't know what you would call it like a subtext going on that it's really kind of hard to pick up on in the movie it's a little more apparent in the book but i think they still tried to hint that there was something else at play a little yeah, bit yeah. and we'll get to that as we go through it but There's a lot there, I think, because it's kind of an interesting idea, because it's it's not just your typical zombie movie. It's about making these choices and then living with the choices that you Oh, right, yeah. And it's much closer to a story about the faults of humans, like of a man, like the weaknesses of not being able to control yourself, control like what you're doing. Yeah,
2: it's certainly not very, it doesn't feel very optimistic. No.
3: (laughs) Obviously, by 89, Stephen King had a lot of things being adapted and was kind of a, a known commodity in movies. And he wanted Pet Cemetery to, A, be based off of his screenplay. He wanted to do the screenplay. Yep. And B, be filmed in Maine.
2: No more of this, his source material being ruined by the likes of like a Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. He does hate. The Shining,
3: <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of a known, funny Stephen Kingism, but, Right. But I think it was more, well, The Shining is not actually set in Maine, yeah. but most of his books are, and yet none of the adaptations were filmed in Maine. Okay, right. So this was like, he wanted this one to be filmed there, so it was a stipulation when he sold the movie rights. He wanted his friend, George Romero, who he had worked with like on Creepshow and various other sort of yeah. things, to do this. And Romero was originally going to do it. I think he originally bought the movie rights. But then he got sidetracked with Monkey Shines or something. He was doing something else. And this kept getting delayed or whatever. So he dropped out. And it went to Mary Lambert, who had only done one feature prior to this. I think it was a movie called, like, Siesta or something like that. Oh, that sounds good. And she was mostly known for music videos. She did... Tons and tons of music videos of all the big artists in the 80s, including Janet Jackson, Annie Lennox, Whitney Houston, Motley Crue.
2: So here you but were... But mostly
3: Madonna. And okay, well, she was actually working on Like a Prayer when she was set the script for Pet Sematary. All right. So she flies out. Well, she meets a, She's impressive Stephen to me. King, and King likes her. They end up having a great relationship.
2: So here you were... Just a young male supporting a female director.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I think Mary Lambert does a good job for the most part with this movie. I think, you know, obviously a a somewhat limited
2: budget. There's parts of it that kind of feel like a made-for-TV movie, but not quite. I I don't necessarily think it's her fault. No. When we go through the cast a little bit, I think we can
3: talk about where the shortcomings (laughs) were.
2: Yes, yes, I would agree.
3: (laughs) But ultimately you get a great performance from the late fred gwynn so that's true he is for me the shining star in this (laughs) film this is definitely a movie that i don't know it wasn't like the biggest success ever and it wasn't as well regarded as something like the shining yet you do see it referenced on things like south park or whatever this
2: character that road (laughs) y'all don't want to go down that road everybody gets that reference
3: people know what you're talking about and when you talk about you could make the joke about. <laughs> Sometimes dead is better. People coming back from the dead or whatever. Like, if, if somebody talks about, like, the idea of Pet Cemetery, I think universally that reference is kind of understood yeah. in some way. Right. So it has kind of gotten into the lexicon of the culture a little bit. Yeah. It's, I definitely
2: think that character stands out, though, that Judd character. Yeah, he's like he, the he, quintessential. He pops much more than any of the other. Well, I guess Zelda, too. He's like the quintessential main guy
3: right he's like an old timer he speaks in that like really thick northern new england way yeah i guess yeah i that like
2: yeah
3: i I can't even do it it's written in all of stephen king's books that expression that i
2: oh okay (laughs)
0: oh yeah that's a good story a good walk I'll take you out there sometime. Tell you the story, too.
3: All right, so let's get into it. The movie opens in a cemetery. Children's voices kind of going over it. We're, we're seeing that these are like little ha- handmade, homemade graves. Okay, yeah. Kind of that weird right. spiral design or layout. No confusion about what this is. It's a traditional start to a horror movie okay let's open wow. it around yeah. graves all
2: right no surprises here what's <laughs> like
3: it's yeah. called pet cemetery granted the spelling is weird but yep. here we are we're right in a cemetery to start it's a graveyard made by children which is kind of a weird idea it is yes but at the same time it represents kind of an innocence and a loss of innocence and like this transitioning learning about death in kind of their own way a very childlike way and we hear those voices and it's kind of, okay, We're it's in something real that today here. in like this super helicoptering parent kind of way that kids are so sheltered, there's no way something like this would ever exist now. But you could see this from another era in that like 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s kind of thing where oh, kids yeah. would do stuff on their own all the time and they would come up with this probably. And it just happens to be a little path down into the woods. So, the Creeds arrive from Chicago to Ludlow, Maine, which I think is fictional, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure, but probably. We have Lewis, played by Dale Midkiff. I mean, I don't really want to turn our podcast into just, like, A bash <laughs> shitting on session, people, but... Yeah. Terrible, just awful, just uh, unbelievably bad. Really, I mean, he's so embarrassingly bad that you can't believe that this is a major
2: motion picture. <laughs> and how he got cast in this role, I mean, it's just how like, many people turn this role down. I know before they get to what this was guy. The audition, like, what was the read like? Were they like, "Are you taking this seriously? <laughs> Are you willing to work for free?" Right. <laughs>
3: So, he's the patriarch of this little family, and he's going to be the doctor at the University of Maine. And I guess he's about to start. We have his wife, Rachel, played by your mom, Denise Crosby. Absolutely. Hi, Mom. (laughs) She's acceptable.
2: Yeah, there you go. Wow, that's a pretty good review. She's pretty good at times, but she's not great. Certainly much better than her counterpart, though. Oh, for sure, She she seems like Meryl Streep in this movie, based on who she's acting next
3: to. She belongs in a movie. Right, true, yes. You're like you're not blown away, but you're like, okay. Yeah. But don't worry. She's there. There are more members of this Creed family to come. (laughs) (laughs) They have a daughter who's probably about I don't know, like what, eight or something like that? I was gonna say five. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, somewhere between five and eight. Right. Ellie, played by twins Blaze and Bo Berdahl, although I think, like, mostly Blaze, which is a crazy name. But That's
2: insane, yeah. Blaze, what is it? What's her last name?
3: Birdall. Okay. It's like Blaze, B-L-A-Z-E, and Bo, B-E-A-U, which I would have never thought would be a girl's name.
2: Well, yeah, I guess.
3: I mean, it's, it is. it's ridiculous. <laughs> and it's sad to say, because obviously in 1989... Blaze and Bow were small children. They're probably like around my age, honestly. Still alive. Unfathomably awful.
2: <laughs> so yeah. They make really Dale Midkiff look like Yeah. When you know, when dad and daughter are in some scenes together that's when you're just like you've seen better acting on Lifetime. Oh, for in sure. In the Hallmark channel. Oh,
3: definitely. Definitely. Oh yeah. And part of it is, you know, the stuff on Lifetime and Hallmark are, is usually pretty like breezy, and who cares? And right. they, they're trying to deliver like somewhat heavy scenes about death, about the afterlife, about God, and all this stuff, and so it's just not all when hitting. The subject matter is a little heavier, and then you have these two out there, like these ass clowns <laughs> fumbling their way through a scene. You're just like, oof! There's a lot of cringy acting in this. It's kind of crazy how much I like this movie, despite the fact that some of the acting is so terrible. Well,
2: sometimes the content alone can carry. That's true. And then
3: the little baby Gage, played by Miko Hughes, by far the The best best actor out of this family. family. And he's like a a one-year-old kid, basically. (laughs) He's basically like two years old, and he is by (laughs) far the best. It's not even
2: close. Really some good uh, action sequences, too, from him. No stunt double. I watched a lot of the,
3: you know, making of featurettes, and he was hitting his marks. He was understanding what they wanted. did
2: everything they needed, (laughs) including getting hit by a (laughs) semi-truck.
3: Yeah, they're letting a two-year-old make the decision. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) The creeds have a cat named Church, which is short for Winston Churchill, which... is insane that someone (laughs) would name their cat that. Kind of annoying. This opening sequence really slaps you in the face with how heavy this movie is on foreshadowing. There's so much foreshadowing yeah, at all it's times. It's a bit much. They really hold your hand and walk you through like, what to Here's expect. Here's where you're going. Yeah. Ellie gets out of the car when they finally arrive at their new house. She runs over jumps on this tire swing. She's swinging back and forth. She sees this path that leads from their yard out into the woods then the tire this swing breaks. This is quite a property by the falls. way. I mean, yeah.
2: It is. It's some extensive ground that they've got here. I don't know if that's all their property. Right. Okay. I'm yeah. not really sure where the property line ends.
3: Yeah, I I didn't email anyone asking right. for yeah. <laughs> you know, deeds and the city, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she sees this path and then the tire swing breaks and falls from the tree. She's crying. I mean, right away you're just like this girl is Stinks. the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. Gage takes this opportunity to walk around. He's like barely of the age to be walking. Right. He's got like a diaper on. Yeah. He's wandering in the right. <laughs> He's like, I got to get in that road immediately. <laughs> he sees that road. He starts going right yep. towards it. The two parents prove to be total idiots. They're not paying any attention to Gage. We would have already gotten to gauge getting hit if it wasn't for Judd, yeah. their neighbor across the street,
2: played I th- by I Fred like Gwynn. Judd just kinda sits there and watches the road. Yeah. He's always just like, All right, something's gonna get hit by a truck today. Yeah. Semi trucks really not abiding by the speed limit on this road. No. No real care for human or animal life. Yeah, we get that like right away, how fast these trucks are racing
3: down this road. It's kinda crazy. But Judd is basically a character very up in everybody's business knows yeah. everything that's going on looking in the town, out the window
2: across the street
3: knows the town history it's just very of this town and very like i said quintessentially maine just this old timer who i think in the movie is supposed to be a widower a lot of time on his hands what was he doing before the creeds even moved in because there's no other houses certainly
2: around. not cleaning
3: his house we find out <laughs> it's like the creeds live on one side of the road. He lives on the
2: other side directly across the street, but there's no other houses
3: in Sits sight really. on
2: like his screen porch drinking beer, which seems like when that other house across the street is vacant, wouldn't you just creep yourself out all the time? <laughs> I mean, you're just like, what am I doing? I'm just some creepy old dude sitting on this screen porch drinking beers. There's no one around. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't seem that different from your life right now. There's dark, deranged whatever is out there in the woods. I don't know. He has some knowledge of some weirdness going on. How does one cope? As we said,
3: Fred Gwynn kind of steals the show throughout this movie. Most of the people portraying the creeds are terrible, so it's not that hard. But right. Okay. It's a really memorable character actor performance from That's Fred true. Gwynn. Yeah. I mean, obviously, America was very familiar with him as being Herman Munster, but... I don't know. I didn't grow up with the Munsters, obviously, but I never really thought of this character as that guy. Like, he really made himself over into this Oh yeah, Judd character. He dyed his hair white, so I just assumed he was way older than he actually
2: was at the time. Yeah, I don't think when I saw this movie the first time that I realized this that it was the dude from the Munsters. I mean, after, like, you know, it's so obvious, but I, I just it never would have crossed my mind to even think that the dude from the Munsters was in anything else. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, maybe that is just because we weren't growing up with the monsters right. and watching it yeah. or, th- or whatever, but still. So the creeds are moving in. It's, we got these new house vibes. They're settling in. They definitely wanted to g- present this idea of city folk out in the country for the first time. There's kind of an adjustment period.
2: They're like, there's no light switches. We just have to use candles.
3: <laughs> Lewis goes over to have a beer with Judd. I guess this is the first night that they've moved in. Yeah. And Judd says, that's one mean road. It's Orenko Trucks. There is a plant somewhere in the area, and these trucks just go back and forth all the time. And like you said, they don't really seem to be paying attention to any kind of speed limit or no. anything like that. And Judd basically says that the road is what caused that path in the Creed's yard to be there. Because that path leads to the pet cemetery.
2: Although it does bring up a lot of questions, is it supposed to be that everyone that lived in this house is just using this path, or are other people from town? No, the other people from town. That's what I thought, but it is weird that people are venturing out to this. I'm thinking
3: that the path predates the house. Yeah, and that the path has been there for decades and decades, and it's just kind of is up against their property.
2: Some animal dies back in town and they bring it out and bury it here we don't really know
3: how far the rest of the houses in this town are from here we don't that's see true. them ever it's a very contained movie it's a we good don't point get a lot of scope as to like what this town is like or where even town is but yeah i think the idea is that they live in a small town that there might be some streets off of their street you know up in no, oh, that's true around yeah. the corner Seems I, like
2: maybe they live like right by like a lake or something too so yeah, there might be just be like a bunch of houses around.
3: In the old days, you know, out in you look out your window areas. though.
2: What's this family's name? What's the Creed's? The Creed's. You're like Mrs. Creed or whatever, and you're just like doing the dishes, looking out the window, and somebody's lugging like a dead dog <laughs> over their shoulder, like out to bury out here.
3: It's unclear if it's still in
2: use, right? As true. of
3: that current day, okay. I don't know. Yeah, right. We never see any kids around, so who knows. Judd has some advice for Lewis regarding their pet, Church, the cat. He says it would probably be a good idea to get Church fixed because a fixed cat tends to roam less and venture across the street
2: less. Yeah, if you're Creed, you're just like, mm, why are you so invested in my cat? I, don't, well, I mean, I think Judd maybe takes some liberties
3: with how with what he'll talk about with people, but I think for the most part he's just looking out for... His neighbors. I That's don't, true. You know, I think yeah. it's he's There's good intention.
2: there. <laughs> Until there is. Yeah. Well, then you're, you know.
0: I get him fixed, while you? Know, fixed cat don't tend to wander. He's all the time crossing back and forth on that road. His luck'll run out.
3: Well, I'll take it under advisement.
0: Meantime, Doc, here's your bones.
3: So I guess the Creeds like hire this woman named Missy Dandridge to help with the laundry and the grocery shopping and all this stuff it's kind of a weird situation being in the movie feels completely useless yeah i would kind of agree with that but also at the same time okay so we know that lewis has a job yeah what is rachel doing all day she can't do these things (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna make this woman come in who clearly has like stomach cancer or something well yeah they're making her do this wrong
2: with her yeah (laughs)
3: I do like how in this movie, they force the viewer to take that leap with them. Just like, okay, here's this woman. She's just hanging around the house now. And we see her in, what, two or three scenes, and then that's it. Right. (laughs) You're just like, okay.
2: And I feel like the fact that Stephen King was kind of involved with this is one of the reasons that this character sticks around. Because I just feel like this could be so easily cut right out of the script. Ultimately, Missy commits suicide
3: And it doesn't really impact the characters at all. I mean, they go to her funeral, but it's just, I don't know, it's just weird. So Judd takes the Creeds on a trip to see the path. This is where we see the spelling, Pet Cemetery because that's the sign that the kids have made. Right. And it's kind of a unique way. I always loved it. It's kind of a weird gimmicky thing to do to title your book with a misspelled spelling, but I loved it. I was always, I think that added to my intrigue of this. Okay, yeah, <laughs> Rachel's not thrilled though she's shooting glances at Lewis the whole time, right. and it gets like <laughs> real mean, yeah, awkward like, with
2: Judd. Why are we doing this, and this is our first indication that Rachel has some issues. I don't know. she seems the most normal in this scene to me. I don't know. I mean, I, you think she's reacting too hard yeah really to she's this? kind okay. of being
3: like crazy about it, All in right. Because it's not like her kids are even old enough to really be paying attention well, that's to what true. Judd's saying, yeah. And he's just babbling on like an old idiot. Right. And he's just like, oh, this is something good came out of this. You know, at least something good. She's like, how could you say this is good? And Judd's just like, now they have to learn about death somehow, don't they, Mrs. Creed? And she's just like, why? <laughs> 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 Which is kind of an insane answer. It's like, well, yeah. what does she think that, like, Ellie and Gage are never going to experience any death in their lives? If it's like, well, I think that they want to protect their kids from that. Right, but I think what, he Judd wasn't saying like, oh, they need to learn about death right this minute, but that the kids in the town, right. this was their way of experience. That's why I think, not that it's the only reason, obviously, but I think a lot of times that, you know, psychiatrists or psychologists, I guess psychologists, psychologists would say that having a pet is a good experience for a kid because it's a way to learn about death in a non-harmful way. Kind of an a unavoidable way yeah that experiencing the death of a pet first is kind of a helpful bridge for younger kids to like in case they are confronted like what if your a parent died oh you know, boy. what if yeah. a friend died in a car accident or, or a friend at school got cancer or whatever sometimes having that experience with a pet first is beneficial because it helps the kid learn like an important life lesson and i think Judd is very awkward and clumsy, but I think that's kind of the idea he's saying. And okay, Rachel yeah. Rachel has her own baggage which we don't know about at this point in the movie. <laughs>
2: yeah. And Lewis is just like it's yep. just like, "All right, Judd, thanks for bringing me out here. This was fun." Well, he's just like
3: <laughs> I guess we're supposed to assume that since they're married, I think Lewis Kind Of knows where the problem is with Rachel, but <laughs> yeah, I think Judd told him what the place was though on the porch the previous night because he was like, You should get church fixed, right? So yeah. Lewis knew where they were going. Maybe yeah. he shouldn't have had her come. Maybe he thought, Oh, well, it's a pet cemetery, not a human cemetery. My, Maybe wife, my wife will be might normal be able to like, keep
2: it together. Nope,
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Rachel. Her kind of tense bullshit continues into the next morning even, which turns out to be Lewis's first day on the job. Ellie just stinks. I can't even deal with her. Oh, just yeah. Everything she says is terrible. The cat is now going to get fixed, and any mention of the possibility of death causes tension with Rachel, and she kind of insists to Lewis that he promise ellie that the cat will be fine and he is a doctor (laughs) so okay he doesn't want to have to make promises like this because he knows that there is a small chance that something could go wrong and that the cat would could die
2: and then what he's made a promise to his daughter so this is his wife's uh, a little bit uh, of friction between the two in in some weird spots where he's yeah gonna have to make some promises he doesn't want to make now as viewers, you know, you're hoping that this is going to pay
3: off in some way, this kind of thing with Rachel. You're like, well, what is this? And thankfully, it is the highlight of <laughs> yeah, the movie. We do get <laughs> you're it. You're like, yeah. oh, wow, this! I didn't think it was going to be that good. So the first day, though, for Lewis is kind of a total disaster. A, I don't really know what he's supposed to be exactly. I think he's supposed to be like a candy striper or something in a hospital or whatever. He's just a guy walking along the side of the road, and he gets hit by a car. And he's brought in to Lewis. Lewis not expecting anything to happen because it's... I don't even think the students are back yet. I think in the book, it's like he's just there kind of getting his office set up, meeting everybody, getting the employees set up to what they're going to do in this little medical center or whatever. And then they bring in this guy, Victor Pascal, hit
2: by a car. From the perspective of the movie Watcher, it's like what the hell? These people are just carrying this dude in, like, off the street. You're like, no ambulance. (laughs) But then you explain to me that... Yeah, it's... uh, The whole
3: explanation of it is kind of complicated or whatever, but there was, like, a traffic jam, and no ambulance could get to him, so these people just, like, put him in a blanket and carried him there. But not knowing that, and
2: you just see this happen, it's (laughs) kind of a weird sight.
3: Especially now with you know you never want to move people who could have potential neck injuries oh, right. and all this stuff although to be fair one look at pascal I and mean, you're like well it doesn't
2: matter let's not move him <laughs> at all i mean let's just start digging a grave <laughs> right here because yeah. this is so his horrifying brain is visible i, mean, I don't think you're bouncing back sign.
3: yeah yeah he is a huge head wound with his brain coming out <laughs> and i was just like thinking of like the monty python thing it's like tis but a scratch it's like yeah (laughs) can you do anything doc yeah doc's gonna save him
2: (laughs) it's not that bad give me some peroxide over your stat it's a hell of a first day
3: i told rachel not so much as a sprain today my friend (gasps) What? <gasps> of nowhere right as pascal is dying he kind of sits up and says this shit to lewis and it's kind of like this warning but you don't know what it's about he he's not really making any sense well, it seems se. like a poem
2: i'm like what is this
3: yeah he says the soil of a man's heart is stonier and this is the first time we hear this phrase again and i will point this out several yes, times please. foreshadowing okay <laughs> <laughs> they love to foreshadow in this movie But the interesting part is that Pascal, who, of course, was just brought in as this dying kid, he knows Lewis's name. I mean, they had never met before. Oh, right. And this is, like, right at the moment that Pascal is dying or dead, and then he says this thing to Lewis and then dies, and then that's it. So Lewis is obviously kind of shaken up by this, but doesn't really know what to make of it. Yeah. Like you said, well, I mean, it's, 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 like, it's just... Well, a, that was weird. <laughs> yeah. What can you say? You're like, all right. There's no one around. The soil of a man's heart is stonier. What does that mean? Yeah. All right, well. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys later. All right, I'm going to lunch. Yeah. <laughs> can somebody get this corpse out of here, please? <laughs> <laughs> kind of jumping right into it. We go right into that night, and Lewis is in his bed next to his wife, Rachel, and he's woken up. And Pascal is just standing there yeah. in Lewis's house. That's kind of creepy. Right, yeah. Throughout the movie, he's continues to appear, and he's always looked- got this head wound going. Right, it, He kind of even looks worse as it goes on, as yeah. if those lines, like those veiny lines on his face keep getting more and more it kinda prominent. He kind of has like
2: that hologram look to him. You're like, he's either a Jedi or a ghost.
3: Yeah. This nighttime visit turns out to be more of, like, a warning. I would say that Pascal kind of is, like, this gruesome angel, more so than just a, a ghost or, like, a malevolent force. I'll say this force.
2: regarding Pascal. His commitment, I mean, kind of unfounded, for one, but, like, I mean, really, you got to give it to him. He's, he really, like, sticks with this whole whatever service that he's trying to... He feels like he's going to pay back... Lewis in a way by trying to help him and protect him and protect his family or at least warn them about whatever. but it's like why? Yeah, he's, he's like, well, you took care of me like at the end of my life, even though from a doctor's standpoint, from a human standpoint, he really did nothing. Pascal says
3: he wants to help Lewis because Lewis tried to help him. but I kind of speculate somewhere in my notes, I don't know where, but <laughs> I was thinking that it's possible this really isn't the person Pascal anymore this is just the force of good yeah kind of that catch-all idea that king uses in a lot of his works like in it it was the voice of the turtle this okay right mystical being that was in opposition to the evil being and i don't know if we're supposed to actually take that this ghost has really any connection to the man that was victor pascal i don't know all right i was just thinking i mean it makes more sense yeah why is he so invested in this right why does he know these things yeah I don't. If know. anything,
2: he should be like, "I'm going to haunt your family because you couldn't save me, you horrible doctor." <laughs> well, I think that's what they want the viewer to think. At that first, this is yeah, bad, right. and
3: yet that's why I called him like a gruesome angel. He looks horrifying, but ultimately he's this figure of good throughout yeah, yeah. the movie that's trying to help, even though it all seems to be in vain because right, Lewis seems to just do what he wants well, to do. Yeah, Pascal takes Lewis. Out of his house, up to the pet cemetery, and he shows him this barrier at the edge of the pet cemetery that goes deeper into the woods. It's kind of like a windfall or whatever they call yep. that, where there's just a bunch of trees knocked over. Yeah, it's like this. Well, that's
2: what I mean. Th- I feel like that part of it looks kind of creepy. That actually is
3: very well done. I thought so too, based on the yeah. description in the book. That's kind of exactly what you would think it should look like. It's hard to explain, but it's kind of just a bunch of tree limbs and bunch of things knocked together in this it doesn't look
2: like you could even travel past it
3: right it's very treacherous looking and beyond that goes farther into the woods and pascal's basically like do not cross the barrier the ground is sour and you don't really know what that means but it's kind of reverberating in lewis's head it
2: doesn't sound good
3: yeah lewis wakes up the next morning in his own bed and he thinks it's a dream but his feet Or dirty as if he's been wandering around outside. Yeah, that's
2: like a shock moment. You're like, oh, shit, it was real. That was real.
3: (laughs) So, again, at that point, if you're Lewis, you're like, what the fuck is going on? This dying guy talks to me and knows my name. And then I have this dream that he comes to me at night and I wander outside and then I somehow get back
2: here. God, that would that would be like kids get in the car. We're moving back to Chicago. Seriously, it's over. we aren't meant for the
3: country. We talk about this in virtually every episode, Okay. But the passage of time. <laughs> I like how they mark it in this movie though. They have Ellie taking the pumpkin out of the window like the pumpkin she drew. Okay, and she right. puts up the turkey yeah, that she there drew. instead. You said and you're like, "All right, we get it. Yep. October into Thanksgiving. School year starts at the middle to end of August or beginning of September, so few months have gone by where they've they've been living in Ludlow. Thanksgiving comes around. Lewis is left alone at the house. We find out that he has a bad relationship with Rachel's parents. Rachel is taking the kids and going to Chicago to spend Thanksgiving with them. Kinda weird, although kind of fun.
2: Yeah, I feel like if you're Lewis, this would be like kind of a nice reprieve. Yeah. You know? I mean, in fact, I would suggest to the listeners of this show maybe trying to have a bad relationship with your significant <laughs> other's parents. It just seems like if you get little breaks like
3: that. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, in an hour and 45-minute movie, you're not going to have time to really get into the little details that a novel can get into about why they have a bad relationship or what the past is or whatever. But suffice to say, it's kind of this nice little vacation to oh, spend yeah. this time Seriously. by yourself.
2: I bet he was getting in some quality you know, TV show knocking out. Just like, jacking yeah. off nonstop.
0: <laughs>
3: I don't know for me this is always the part of the book and part of the movie that really feels like this movie the original Pet Cemetery was released in April of 89 the remake that they're doing next year is coming out in April Okay, that's kind of when the big gauge moment happens you know with the little baby gauge but I always feel like this is a very Thanksgiving story to me because this part
2: takes place over Thanksgiving that first trip into the woods right where it really kind of All starts to go awry.
3: Judd calls Lewis to tell him that Church is dead and on his lawn. Yes. And this basically starts everything.
2: He's like, I saw it coming, but I got to let you know we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Lewis is
3: like, fuck, man, I don't want to have to tell Ellie that the cat is dead. Judd's
2: like, come on over, drink a beer. (laughs) (laughs) He's really trying to ply Lewis with alcohol. It's like, what is he trying to (laughs) get?
3: Judd's like, all right, well, maybe there's a other way. Maybe there's something else we can do. But he doesn't really explain it and then proceeds to take Lewis into the woods. They get some shovels and And shit. he's
2: very – he has a certain excitement to him. Right. Which we haven't really seen before.
3: Yeah, he's kind of cagey about the whole thing. Yeah.
2: And this
3: always strikes me as odd, though, because Lewis kind of just goes along with it. Well, watching
2: this movie the first time through, for me, it makes you feel like Judd – is almost a villain, even though the rest of the movie he's not.
3: Well, he, I mean, that plays into it later. I right, mean, I think yeah. Judd is kind of, uh, he realizes that he's been under the influence a little bit. Yeah. But, so they go to the Pet cemetery, and that's where Lewis thinks they're going to bury the cat. And Judd's like, no, 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 not here. Where we're going is beyond there. And he points to the windfall thing of the trees. <laughs> You're like, what? how do we even get over there? Judd has some way to do it. Right which Lewis almost does kill himself doing it. He falls, (laughs) but I don't know, man, this, this is kind of like crimson peak where, Oh yeah. They keep telling her, Hey, beware of crimson peak. And then all of a sudden she's living on a red mountain and you're (laughs) like, bitch, what the fuck? I know. Seriously. (laughs) You literally had a dream where a ghost told you don't do this. And and now you're doing it.
2: It basically seems like Lord of the Rings, like how far they're walking.
3: Oh yeah. It's a, it's a hike.
2: Right. And it's not just like, okay, we're, going over some downed trees and then through the woods a little bit it's like they end up at a fucking mountain that they have to scale it says
3: a lot though about lewis it's like either he has kind of this desire to put his trust in judd he sees him as maybe a father figure judd's telling him this is an answer for you i'm not going to explain this answer but this is an answer why don't don't you trust me hell yeah
2: let's give it a shot or
3: There's some sort of power and influence over Lewis that's just making him go along with this and not question it. I don't know. Yeah, he seems impressionable. So in the book, this first trip seems to me like it should be taking place at night. But in the movie, this is still daylight by the time they even get to where they're going. And even while they start doing what they're going to do,
2: it's still daylight. Right.
3: I find that kind of strange. It kind of takes away a little bit of the suspense of this, especially when they hear that noise.
2: uh, How long is this the longest day? In the world, I mean, what time did it it seem like? You know how it seems like they've traveled so far.
3: Maine, right? In late November, yeah. What does it get dark at three p.m.? You would think, yeah. (laughs) Once they pass that little pile of trees or whatever, and they're into the woods now, like really deep, there's this strange noise. Judd definitely looks around concerned, and he just says it's a loon, which is like a type of bird. But (laughs) as
2: if that's supposed to kind of settle the matter. Well, loons
3: are just like little duck-like birds, but they make that big noise or whatever. But he doesn't look so sure of it. Right. And in the book, this is kind of this whole introduction of this other idea at play that kind of is always underneath the surface, and you can kind of read into it. It's the idea of a wendigo, which is a certain kind of mythical creature. There's this idea that there's more at play with this burial oh, okay. where they're headed. All right. But I think in the movie they kinda let's get dance that. around yeah. it. I don't think the budget was there. In Algonquian folklore, the Wendigo, or Windigo Which I'm sure you're all familiar with. Is a mythical man eating monster or evil spirit native to the northern forests of the Atlantic coast and Great Lakes region of both the United States and Canada. So in other words it's like a Native American folklore thing. Okay. The Wendigo may appear as a monster with some characteristics of a human being or as a spirit who has possessed a human and made them become monstrous. So think about that in relation to what's to come. I'm getting it. It is historically associated with murder, insatiable greed, and the cultural taboos against such behavior. Blah, 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 blah. So that's what that is. I think that's what that noise is kind of maybe supposed to be, but it's weird because, like I said, they did that scene during the daylight. There's not really a lot of scary feelings there yeah you're there's not just a lot like, of
2: mythological birds <laughs> that come out during the day
3: so judd and lewis they continue their trip further into the woods eventually they come to what is basically like a mountain right and you're just like really judd
2: i mean I, if i, I was lewis i'd be like what are we doing it's a fucking cat yeah and then it's, a, it's like it's a tuesday or something throw it in <laughs> a trash i have
3: to work tomorrow well thanksgiving traditionally is on a thursday is
2: this actually thanksgiving day i think so yeah. oh okay so it's a cat
3: all right we're gonna go yeah. bury it on top of a mountain okay yeah <laughs> seemingly yeah, miles from like my house overkill <laughs> on the top of the mountain is a micmac indian burial ground it's kind of a cool design Micmac. they've designed it to look like i don't know there's these like piles of rocks that are kind of supposed to be the graves i guess and it's this cool, circular design. I always like the way that it looked. Yeah, I think it's surprising. Like, you don't really expect this. Right. Imagine if you were just wandering in the woods and with you your found friends this? and you found yeah. something like this. I, it would freak you the fuck out. Oh, no it's shit. It's definitely yeah. like some Blair Witch shit. But I liked the look of it more in Pet Cemetery 2 because it wasn't on a mountain. Yeah. It was just like in <laughs> right, the woods. Right, yeah. Granted, it's supposed to be the same place, but, you know. Well, come on. It just seems crazy that they're walking from Lewis's backyard all the way to where I'm out. Well, I know. And I then, d- like climb in. and Judd looks like he's a man that's eat comfortably in his like ready 70s. to
2: fall and die, basically. Now,
3: granted, I think they do make a big point of that being surprising in the book. But I don't know. It's just it's very strange and jarring that all of a sudden they're on this mountain. Judd tells Lewis that each buries his own, so Lewis has to do it by itself. But it's like,
2: I'll go over here and smoke a cigarette. Go ahead and do what you got to do. Lewis is kind of like in a daze, though, and you're just like, what do you think he's thinking at this point? Yeah, well, yeah, I know.
3: I guess part of it is it's like.
2: It's like I couldn't have just buried it back at the fucking Pet cemetery.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he is thinking that, but right. I guess he's like, well, we're here. Yeah, so I might as well. Whatever this is, this is making Judd happy, so I might as well just do it now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Because that's my mission, to make Judd happy. And
3: they cut this part out of the movie, but I think the idea is that he has to not only bury it in this kind of rocky, stony ground, but he has to then put that Karen of rocks on it. He has to build up a, a pyramid of rocks. Oh, it's like,
2: I'm doing hard labor at this point. <laughs>
3: I'd be like, I don't feel comfortable doing this, Judd. This right. is cultural appropriation.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd be like... If you're so invested in this, why don't you move some of these fucking rocks? Well, he's like each buries his own. Right. It's like all right, Judd.
3: Yeah, we get it. <laughs> so j- yeah, who when they made get you back, the king of this shit. When they get back to Lewis's house, Judd says that what they did was a secret thing, and he repeats that line that Pascal said, "the soil of a man's heart." And you're just like, what is he
2: talking about? Yeah. But the phone
3: is ringing. Okay, Judd, whatever you want. It's a secret. Ellie is in Chicago and Ellie's been having these bad dreams about church being dead. And this is the first indication that Ellie has some sort of I don't know, the shining. Yeah, she's got some sort of ability to see the future. She's like kind of having these premonitions in her right. dreams. And this is recurs throughout the movie and so there's some sort of connection there to like the events and to this place that has some sort of mystical power. Yeah. But Lewis, by doing this, unknowingly, to be fair, unknowingly has let the darkness in. Like yeah. the, the darkness is no now turning back. In, now. and it's sinking into his family. Basically, the next morning, the cat came back. But the cat came back the very next day. The cat came back. They thought he was a goner, but the cat came
0: back. He just wouldn't stay away.
2: Something different about the cat now. It's eyes glow.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I guess they wanted some way to visually signify the cat was fucked up. Because they talk a lot about the cat smelling weird, but the audience can't smell the cat. And they talk about the cat acting weird, but it's a cat. How is the audience going to see this? Aren't they all? (laughs) So I think they wanted some visual signifier. And I mean, I guess it's fine. But Lewis is kind of just... His first reaction is, oh, well, the cat wasn't dead, which I guess it would be the only thing you could think at first. Like, well, yeah. Your mind isn't allowing yourself to think anything else, even though, as Judd points out to him, we had to, like, pull that thing out, like, Velcro off of the grass (laughs) because it was stuck into the frozen grass. Like, a live thing doesn't do that. Pretty gross. Its neck was rolling around like it had ball bearings in it. (laughs) It's
2: like, okay, Judd, Jesus, I get it. Yeah, it was dead. (laughs) Judd tells him that. The Ragman first told him about that place. You're like, okay, well, this can't be good.
3: <laughs> yeah, but The Ragman? I man? was literally Googling, like, what is a Ragman? <laughs> yeah. And I kept getting, like, a person that works in, like, garments. It's like a slang term for, like, working in clothing well, what or was garments. he doing I'm out like, that there. can't be what yeah. this means. I was thinking, like, he meant, like, a homeless guy dressed in rags. <laughs> I don't know. What the fuck is a Ragman? I don't
2: know. In tweet this the small, the main town. Yeah,
3: please. Someone tweet the show and he says that the magman was like half micmac himself and so oh, he Oh wow, well that's convenient. I was just like his story is insane because he's like <laughs> yeah. I'm like a 12-year-old boy and my dog dies and this local homeless man takes me out into the
2: woods it's to bury a, a dog. A half micmac <laughs> homeless man. Well, that sounds racist. Well, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what micmac is. It's a
3: it's kind of Native American. All right, it's well. like a tribe, I guess. I, I mean, certainly
2: don't want to be insensitive to the Micmacs. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot
3: of Micmac listeners. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> Judd takes his dog Spot up there. Spot comes back. Seems like a rabid dog, like Cujo esque in the flashback, but well, I guess yeah. it doesn't attack people. I don't know. And he says that that Spot died a few years later peacefully. He was never asleep. quite the
2: same. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like the darkness that creeps in in the movie that we see isn't quite the darkness that crept in for his dog.
3: Yeah, I agree that the situation with the dog isn't that bad, so you're kind of like, well, can you really blame Judd for thinking that taking the cat up there would be that bad? I don't know. But I've always taken it that the ground has gotten a lot worse since then. Judd is supposed to be an old man. This is decades later. And that there's a bit of a luck of the draw with it. Yeah. So it's hard to say, but I don't know. I mean, Judd's culpability varies, I guess. Judd culpable. (laughs) Lewis asked the first logical question Has anybody ever buried a person up there? (laughs) You can tell by Judd's reaction that. Yes. It's happened
2: before. Yeah. He says,
3: Christ on his throne, no, and he knocks over those <laughs> bottles. Yeah. There's like a hilarious video on YouTube Like okay, so someone that's... just looping that over and over. <laughs> <laughs> He's just knocking those bottles on the floor over and over yeah. and over. Christ on his throne, no. Way to keep your cool, Josh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you said, church is different now, but at least Ellie has spared the pain of church's
2: death. As we find out, definitely wasn't worth it. No. Even just from like the trek to the mountain I would be like, you know what Ellie would have been fine to just learn about death.
3: <laughs> yeah, she's got to learn about it sometime. Right. Fuck Rachel. Yeah. But Ellie is kind of freaked out a little bit by the stink. Everyone doesn't like the smell of this cat now, but it's alive. What are you going to do? Yeah. What what are they going to think? It's
2: scratching people and stuff
3: too. <laughs> Rachel's like suspicious like, "Hey, when we were in Chicago, what did What happened? church actually die and you bury him <laughs> in an indian burial ground and he came back to life and what exactly were up? you
2: up to with that nutty neighbor of ours <laughs>
3: <laughs> is it weird that rachel calls lewis doc or is that fine
2: i think it's fine. okay
3: i was kind of freaked out by it but i was like yeah i guess i could see that i don't know i get freaked annoyed out. by i well i get annoyed by like everything well yeah. I, I was like if that was me i would get annoyed yeah
2: it's like i have a name bitch (laughs) (laughs)
3: you just wanted to get that in there (laughs) missy the woman who's working for the creeds she commits suicide just an unbelievable scene really she writes a note and then pins the note to her shirt yeah but then like (laughs) walks downstairs into like her basement and there's just a noose already there and she just like Gets up on a desk and like puts the noose around her neck and then like you know kicks the table out yeah, or jumps whatever. off the yeah. table. And I was just like, is that a pre-prepared noose? <laughs> yes. Has has how long has that All noose right. been in the basement
2: just waiting? <laughs> she would just be like you know watching sitcoms or whatever at night, like putting this noose together. It's just like one of these days. <laughs> yeah, there's it's a lot of good <laughs> to just have that pre. Pre-made, yeah, it saves you some time. Right, for when it's you're like, really in a you know, jam and right. you gotta exit the One Earth as nights, fast as possible. I need to get this done, and I don't want anything going wrong. I need a well-tested. I have a couple spares d- up in my closet d- just, d- just in case. Yeah, they've gone through my own quality control. <laughs> so, but this is another point, though. Of just like, why was this character even in this? What pushes her to kill herself? The stomach. Right, just that she's sick. Yeah. 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 But, okay.
3: Well, I think it's another instance of death being at the forefront of these characters' minds. Everything in this story is kind of dealing with death. It's all about death, yeah. So there's a shot of the burial ground cut in there right before they get to her funeral, which is kind of cool. Yeah, It kind of is like this juxtaposition. Stephen King cameo as the preacher at the funeral. Kind of odd. An odd-looking man. Right. We love him. Rachel doesn't attend the funeral for obvious reasons, which we'll get to in a second. But Ellie does. That's weird.
2: (laughs) Yeah, The person they're trying to shield from death. I honestly don't think I attended a funeral until I was like in my late 20s. I did go to one as a kid. I remember. How old? Pretty young. I don't know. Probably Ellie's age. That's fucked up. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Judd tells Lewis that it's his cat now. Because he's like, how's your cat, Lewis? And Lewis is like, it's Ellie's cat. And he's like, no, it's your cat. <laughs> it's like, well, fucking thanks, Judd. No you didn't kidding. tell me any of this. Right. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. You just led me into the woods. Yeah. Now I have this monster in
2: my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Seriously, this mutant cat.
3: So Rachel overhears Lewis talking to Ellie about the afterlife. And she kind of is tearing up in the other room. And finally, we're going to find out about her death up.
1: My sister, Zelda.
3: I oh, know, she died. Spinal meningitis.
1: She was in the back bedroom like a dirty secret. My sister died in in the back bedroom, and that's what she was. A dirty secret. I had to. I had to feed her sometimes. I hated it. But I did it. We wanted her to die we wished for her to be dead it wasn't just so she wouldn't feel any more pain it was so we wouldn't feel any more pain it was because she started to look like this monster even now i wake up and i think is zelda dead yet is she My parents were gone when she died. Rachel! She started to... She started to convulse, and I thought... I thought, oh, my God, she's choking. Zelda's choking. And they'll come home, and they'll say, I murdered her by choking. They'll say, you hated her, Rachel, and that was true. And they'll say, you wanted her to be dead, and that was true, too. And then she died. And I started to scream. I ran out of the house screaming, Zelda's dead! Zelda's dead! Zelda's dead! And the neighbors that came out and the end, they looked. And they thought I was crying. <laughs> but you know something? <laughs> I think maybe... I
3: was laughing. We finally reached that point in the movie. Zelda was yeah, right. here. Yes, played lovely by Zelda. Zelda was played by like not only a, a male but like a full adult male. Okay, just yeah. super skinny. Zelda, of course, has spinal meningitis. Now you were acting like you didn't understand it, but I I felt like a, it's a great call by Mary Lambert here. I don't think you can really make. Especially in 89, before they would have been messing with computers and shit. I just don't think a 12-year-old girl was going to be uh, scary enough Oh, for I this. agree.
2: It's just, she is, like, bizarre-looking. Well, I mean, th- she
3: specifically wanted something to feel off about it. Yeah. And so the casting of, like, a man rather than a little girl, so that the viewer would look at it and be like, this doesn't seem right, but this doesn't look right. The
2: look of it is kind of, to me, like, I don't know, like uh, something from Mortal Kombat or something. <laughs>
3: i don't even understand that reference okay
2: but i don't know it just looks weird it's just it's frightening right no it is yeah
3: this is maybe it is creepy denise crosby's best part of the movie is telling the story because i get it like i get what she's saying like that idea that it was so awful to deal with that she was wishing for zelda to be
2: dead yeah which does seem like dark but super real yeah, and she's finally saying these things out Whatever loud. Whatever was going on in this household, it just... <laughs> I mean, it... You, yeah. Well, like, yeah,
3: Lewis points out, like, why the fuck would they leave an eight-year-old girl with her dying sister? Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck was going on? <laughs> Seriously. And I think part of that was the time period that this would probably have been happening, which I guess would have probably been, like, what, the 60s but or that's something? that's the thing.
2: I mean, that's where it's just, like... She's like, well, you know, I kind of wish my parents would have shielded me from some things.
3: I was looking at the statistics. I mean, it's not a huge percentage of people that actually die from spinal meningitis, but it is possible. And certainly 20 years or 25 oh, yeah. years prior to 1989 when the treatment was probably pretty minimal or pre Obamacare. <laughs> I don't know. This scene is just so great. There's this haunting painting on the wall in Rachel's childhood home in this flashback and this is more foreshadowing it's like that strange looking child with like a top hat and the blue yes, dress yes. thing and holding like a whip which we'll or something. see again later yeah more foreshadowing right. and after she tells this story lewis is like all right i'm getting you a volume and she's like i don't take value he's like tonight you do yeah. <laughs> He just like points at her uh, and is like, just like sh- cramming it down her throat <laughs> And I do like the pace of this movie because it's like right from that we start hearing the Ramones play Sheena as a punk rocker. We're seeing a truck driver get in his truck at the plant. He's bopping along to the Ramones. It's cutting between that. And a nice family uh, picnic outing in their yard. Yeah, which I never realized was their yard until one of the more recent viewings and that you kind of see the house for a second before it pans over. Because, yeah, they're like... Not only do they have that mountain way back in the woods, yes. there's like a fucking lake right there. It's right. like, what is this place? <laughs> but anyway, it's a family picnic with Judd and we're on a collision course.
2: <laughs> yes, we are.
3: Lewis has this fucking kite and he lets Gage run with it for a while, and then Gage drops the kite. Lewis takes his eyes off of Gage for one second. Gage lightning fast. All of a sudden it cuts and like Gage is like
2: just feet. It feels like there's, but that's the thing. It feels like they're a hundred yards from the road initially. Right. And then all of a sudden Gage is like right right
3: there. And you do have to wonder, is this supposed to be like the power of this burial ground at play? Because why is Lewis turning around for that long? He doesn't actually even talk to anyone else at the table. Oh, right. He's just like, oh, I'm laughing and not looking. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Yeah. (laughs) And he runs after Gage and and (laughs) Rachel's. Get the baby! Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> Lewis just trips and falls. Oh,
2: yeah, just a horrible <laughs> efforts and heroic behavior. And Gage is out in
3: the road, the truck driver not really paying any attention. Just boom. Demolished. And as I pointed out, I mean, this was certainly a taboo moment for a movie in 89. Yeah, maybe he's not dead. <laughs> he could have survived. Right. no. Let's talk about the reality of just how obliterated Gage would actually be if this oh, happened. Oh, no. Because we see Gage later. Spoiler alert if you don't know what Pet Cemetery is. But Gage not leaving the movie right. yet, really. Yeah, he resurfaces. He would not look like how no, he looks I later know. in this right. movie. yeah. He w-
2: <laughs> you think it would be a closed casket situation? Oh, well, it was, right. in all fairness. <laughs> yeah. But I don't
3: think... Okay, it would be well, a
2: closed casket with
3: nothing in it. Right, so Lewis, understandably, I guess, becomes unraveled, and he's just a ghost, unable to comfort his wife and daughter. And this brings us to Gage's funeral. I
0: told him when you were first married, you'll have all the grief you can stand and more, I said. and Now look at this. I hope you rot in hell! Where were you when he was playing in the road?
3: Get
1: a hold
0: of
3: yourself, please. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a rough funeral. <laughs> uh, I would say, yeah. A little bit of a freak out moment. Right. It reminded me of Clerks. Like,
2: <laughs> <the, laughs> like, his fucking body fell out. Well, yeah, it, w- and everything kind of goes to shit with uh, the father-in-law there. <laughs> yeah, well, There's yeah, some wild think. accusations being thrown around. <laughs> honestly i would get in the car after that
3: funeral i mean assuming i'm not in the media oh family, yeah right it's just there and i would just be like that was awesome yeah. <laughs> i would not well, be able to that'd be that one was, of the
2: highlights of my life the, to be at something I would like, be like insane yeah I mean, you like would that. tell the story like a lot it's just like that would be the craziest thing you've ever seen Oh, man. But it's just like, wouldn't you if you're a Lewis, though, you're just like, I got to divorce my wife. I mean, well, unfortunately, and
3: I mean, this is kind of a sobering fact thrown in there. But I do think couples with a kid that die do divorce a lot. Yeah, it's a very high percentage. I
2: just feel like but it's also I mean, whatever strain is on your relationship, it's also just like, okay, we're at the point where like haymakers are being thrown between my father-in-law, and myself.
3: I mean, it's just like... <laughs> He's blaming me for my son's death right. at the funeral. Yeah. And
2: calling me a killer of children. Yeah, and <laughs> the wife's still just like, okay, well, I'm going to go visit my mom and dad. It's just like, you just have to be like, it's them or me,
3: okay? <laughs> Judd becomes kind of this constant presence in the Creed house, and ultimately, he knows what Lewis is thinking. And this is where the idea is if first presented. Worked once that we have a culpable Judd oh yeah (laughs) Judd culpable (laughs) Judd culpable well he's the one that brings it up and this is kind of introducing this idea that him introducing Lewis to the burial ground has aroused these malevolent forces as I said earlier they've let the darkness creep in and now it has hold of them
2: do you think like before the creeds moved in there was a period of like not much going on with these dark forces that's the thing. We don't know. Okay. Yeah, I know. We don't. It's possible that this is something that's happened before. Right. But the judge
3: just either forgot or didn't say because of the power or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. He's kind of – we don't know. We're just kind of it, – it's with most stories. You're kind of brought in the into middle it, of something, yep. and you're kind of like, okay. But the idea is that by burying the cat, it's awakened this thing, and they somehow caused – gauge is death yeah yeah and it's kind of this almost as if the burial ground has some sort of power as like an entity like it's uh, something almost ta- almost tangible uh-huh so Judd tells this story about Timmy Baderman it's like post-world War two Timmy Baderman comes back dead yeah now this was definitely much worse than the dog right although again it's different from what happens later in the movie though true. Because they don't really ever say Timmy Baderman like actually killed anybody, right? But he comes back and he's basically like, which a, I don't a even, zombie, right. and This is where you realize that oh, this is a zombie movie. Timmy, like, you
2: don't even realize that until like true. halfway through the movie. But Timmy Baderman, the weird thing with him is like he goes to war, survives, like doesn't die in war, and then like dies when he comes back.
3: No, no, no. he comes back as a corpse.
2: Okay, gotcha.
3: Yeah that that's when, right, whenever yeah. lewis starts making justifications in his head as to why he can do these things that's the first thing he thinks is even though he doesn't know anything about this barrier, <laughs> yeah, he thinks to that out how the power because works. they waited so long to bring timmy baderman back as if like he's thinking like a doctor like the longer amount of time that he was brain dead and didn't and that's why he was so fucked up oh when yeah he came yeah, back yeah. right whatever there's no logic yes to it. because the idea it, yep. i think is that lewis okay so Tim starting Baterman with the death of his son died has gone war, crazy shipped back to town yes and right. this is something that happened years ago. 40 years right. ago or yeah. whatever and now judd is telling lewis as like hey i know what you're thinking no do not, not do this right sometimes dead is better
2: <laughs> we get <laughs> as we the classic mean, yes, line as we know
3: sometimes dead is better but we won't fully understand what that means until the end of the movie really But it's all too late, really, because at this point, the cat is out of the bag. Pun intended.
2: Yes.
3: (laughs) So, somber trip to Chicago for Rachel and Ellie. Yeah, really not great. With Rachel's parents. In the airport, Ellie mentions dreaming of Pax Cow, as she says it. And her, her grandparents hear her say it, but Lewis and Rachel do not hear her say this. Yeah. Or else maybe it would have occurred to them what she was talking about, but they don't hear her say PAX. Would
2: Lewis even remember this dude's name, though? I mean, <laughs> I think so. It's okay. a pretty traumatic event. All right, yeah.
3: <laughs> he had to fill out a lot of paperwork.
2: I, probably. Yeah, that's probably right, yeah. But this is one of those things where you're just like, is it really responsible to leave Lewis at home by himself in the wake of all this? I think, you know, because it's a movie and because they're kind of pushing forward, the yeah.
3: idea is that he's probably pushing for this yeah yeah he's saying like, I need that, oh I need, I need to do this i need to take care of everything' things i'm gonna come out and join you which is the plan yeah but secretly he's on a one track mind right now this is getting them out of town he's probably the one that suggested that they go with her parents okay right he's only got one thing in his head now
2: i gotta get this body up there <laughs> let's get that body <laughs> yeah. the hooks are in in other words for lewis i mean he's Judd's like, oh, I know what you're thinking, don't. And Lewis is like, yeah, 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 yeah. But we know where this is heading. Lewis goes to the cemetery during the day with his bag of shovels. <laughs> Always a good sight
3: for everyone. Yeah, yeah, Another crazy decision here to have this scene be during the day where he's clopping <laughs> yeah. a fence of the cemetery with a bag of shovels and it's daylight out. People just
2: looking on like, oh, my God, that's embarrassing. <laughs> We got another one of those weirdos. No arrest, mate. We, we
3: got another corpse fucker
2: on our hands. Right. Let's get him.
3: A lot of talking out loud to himself during this sequence, which is well, maybe of one rationalizing. of Dale
2: Midkiff's worst performances.
3: Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to. I know. You know, but well, it's,
2: sometimes you got to just call it like it is, though.
3: It's There's some rough scenes in the It adaptation. For oh, certainly. As well. Oh, yeah. Not just the special effects. The acting can be a little cringy. But, but
2: that was made for TV. Yeah. This was a feature film. <laughs> I
3: know. Well, it was popular enough to get a sequel. There so. you go. Pascal appears once again, giving another warning. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say anything about the cat, but now we're talking about a human. Like, hey, bro. This,
2: yeah, this is really not a... I mean, did you not hear Judd? Did he not tell you that story?
3: I told you do not go past that barrier. You did it for the cat, and I let it slide, and now you're digging a fucking little boy up out of a cemetery yeah
2: do you want to take a look at yourself right now
3: (laughs) (laughs) seriously think about what you're doing yeah and this is where i wrote is it actually pascal or is it just some force of good taking pascal's form who knows yeah but he's invested i guess certainly yeah back in chicago pascal has entered ellie's dreams he then nudges rachel yeah he's
2: got to try to take different avenues he can see that he's not getting to uh lewis here Right, and Ellie is telling these dreams to Rachel, who's not really
3: understanding, but like Pascal nudges Rachel into the direction she needs to go. He is there in Chicago with them, although Rachel can't see him, but he's kind of this invisible presence. In her mind, Pascal becomes Pascal, a name Rachel obviously remembers, but one her daughter wouldn't know. So there's no reason for Ellie to be saying this name or be dreaming about this person she was unaware that this ever happened to her dad she does not know about this
2: yeah this is one of those things that is weird but i feel like it's almost you explaining it more resonates with me as being weird than when i watch the movie yeah i don't know just like some of these things just aren't really hitting it's hard to convey
3: some of these things because they're not there's not really a way to show it in a movie right you kind of have to like think the way the characters would be thinking and the idea is she's saying Pascal I having this dream about Pascal he's telling me that daddy's doing something wrong with gauge and blow which, Oh, no yeah, yeah it's like what but she's not understanding it at first but Pascal is there and he's saying it in her head or whatever like she's not seeing Pascal but he's nudging her in the right direction and so she's like Pascal and Ellie is also trying to say this word she's saying like oh pascal's trying to help us because daddy was with him whenever he his body dis 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 and i can't remember and so pascal pushes rachel in the right direction by saying discorporate which means not having a material body bodiless ghost disembodied whatever yeah another a word that ellie wouldn't know yeah this makes Rachel, all of a sudden, take Ellie's dream seriously because Ellie wouldn't know this stuff on her own. And it's at least freaking Rachel out. Certainly. She doesn't know right. what to make yes. of this. And obviously, everybody's on edge because they just watched their son slash brother get destroyed
2: by a back truck <laughs> while their husband slash father fell on his face attempting to save him.
3: Yeah, that was actually more disturbing. <laughs> How sad it was. To live with. Yeah. <laughs> He like shit his pants when he <laughs> fell. Right.
2: Was crying. <laughs> Well, I mean, but just from falling. <laughs> He's like, ow, my knee.
3: Basically, Ellie has told Rachel that Pascal has been sent to warn the creeds that something bad is happening involving her dad and her dead little brother. And that Pascal's role has something to do with Louis being present when Victor Pascal died. Oh, and I, I do want to point out, because we get this these scenes inside Rachel's parents' house in Chicago. And that fucking... Painting is still hanging that's right. around. Yeah. You're
2: like, what what is this painting? <laughs> I know. It's, it's so like, disturbing. Dad, I had this like horrible, creepy relationship with my sister Zelda. Also, this picture that's been hanging up, like, what's what gives?
3: Obviously, based on what comes later, she associated that painting in her mind with Zelda in some way. True. Yeah. So get rid of it, please. Right. <laughs> Rachel calls home, no one answers, so she calls Judd who answers across the street at his place he freaks out when she tells him she's coming home because judd's like yeah i haven't seen lewis oh yeah So she's like all right well don't bother telling him that i called because i'm coming and he's like whoa whoa." (laughs) (laughs) which of course makes her be like what the fuck right yeah even more lewis back in the cemetery is uh digging up his dead son and then hugging the corpse it's a pretty emotional scene in the movie but in the book it's even more rough oh i'm sure yeah i remember my dad saying like he was reading this book and this part was like really hard for him this book came out like six days after i was born oh
2: wow that's a weird omen
3: (laughs) i am gage yeah (laughs) but yeah i mean in reality it would not be gage's corpse it'd be like a plastic bag of tomato sauce oh <laughs> oh man! I mean, what? Yes, yeah, I mean he was. That was a, a huge semi, truck yeah. <laughs> going like a hundred miles an hour, yeah. <laughs> and he's like a, a tiny thirty baby. pound, yeah. <laughs> Rachel flying into Boston has a Zelda nightmare, so we know that somehow Zelda is intertwined with whatever horror show Rachel's coming back to. Yeah, I like guess we know so. right. that and, Zelda's going to be in play if yeah. she's dreaming about her right now. You don't come up with Zelda like, and then not reuse her.
2: This is similar to the it thing a little bit where it just can use things from your own life, I guess, against you to freak you out or what. I would say that the last portion of this movie is kind of
3: up to interpretation as to how you want to okay think of it. Because, I mean, there's really no clear cut right, answer. answer for what is happening. Judd decides to wait for Lewis, but he falls asleep. He's (laughs) watching from his porch, drinking some beers and smoking some cigs, and just falls asleep like a useless old shit. Yes. Pascal now helping Rachel the whole time. He's helping with connecting flights and rental cars and (laughs) He's trying to get over there, yeah. He's doing everything he can. Lewis takes a moonlight trip through the pet cemetery, into the woods and beyond. Evil force is now f- in full effect. There's a tree randomly falling as he's just walking, which is another strange part. Well, yeah, which I don't really get because it's like... Well, I think that's the Wendigo spirit or something. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. that. Well, I don't know why they included right. it. It's in the book where he says he hears a tree falling in the footsteps of a large unknown thing. Oh, wow. This part is actually pretty scary in the book, his walk. Yeah. They don't really spend a lot of time on it.
2: It seems like it would be. Yeah, because he's
3: actually doing it at night, which yeah. is how the first one should have been. But yeah, he hears like a, something knocking over a tree in these like big footsteps. And you're supposed to, I think, take the idea of the windigo, but he never sees it or anything. He gets back to the Micmac burial ground. This is kind of like a weird part. The um, ghostly premonition of Judd's face as Lewis is scaling that mountain. It just like kind of comes up out of the water. Or that whatever. is weird, yeah. It's definitely scary. It's like it's one of the only jump scares in this that doesn't have to do with a cat screeching.
2: Yeah,
3: <laughs> a cat jumping up to scratch him in the face. Yeah. Malevolent forces seem to be trying to stop Rachel. Her rental car blows a tire. Pascal trying to work in opposition to these unseen forces. I mean, keep in mind, though, that Rachel has no idea of what she's racing oh, on right. to.
2: It is a... She has no
3: idea what's going it blows the tire on at all. And
2: like Pascal makes a comment, right? That like, oh, the ground is trying to stop you. Yeah, he's to like, you, trying right. to stop you. Yeah. So she ends up
3: hitchhiking and getting a ride in a truck that's just like the one that killed her son, oh, right. basically, which yeah. is kind of weird.
2: She randomly gets killed uh, while hitchhiking, and you never see her again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she gets picked up by like Ted Bundy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a weird little
3: part Detour of from the Detour <laughs> from the main story. I don't know. Probably would have been better right. in a way <laughs> yeah. for her. So, Lewis buries Gage, returns home, and just crashes on his bed. Does not take long for Gage to emerge. It's almost like the ground was just waiting. Seriously. Like, all right, we're going to make they this quick. They turned it around real quick. <laughs> he gets back to the house and snags Lewis's scalpel. But, and I think this is kind of interesting, and this kind of fits the, this Wendigo theory that I'm going to push at the end. But he does not kill. His dad. Okay right here. Right. And I feel like there's a reason why he wouldn't he just doesn't kill him now. Part of it is they try to make this gage character, this undead gauge, like taunting and like this little dick. Yeah, where which he's, like, is weird. This, right? Like he wants to like fuck with them or whatever. Yeah. But I think there's more to this. So he has this opportunity to kill his dad who's just like asleep. Instead he just takes a scalpel and he leaves. He goes across the street to visit Judd. It's like, What's up, Judd? Judd is still asleep on his front porch, but then he awakens to see tiny footprints of mud going inside his house. Oh and no! He realizes it's too late. Oh no! Yeah. I would just be like, "I'm right. I'm getting in the car. I'm not ge-
2: going in that house." Yeah. See
3: ya. <laughs> now I guess is the best opportunity to talk about the weird interior of Judd's house.
2: Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> it's like I don't like it.
3: I think like Mary Lambert was saying, they were going for like a very fairy tale look to it. But it's like almost like a nightmarish fairy tale. It's oh, very I would strange. Yeah. It would be a creepy house to me as a kid. Like I would get kind of weirded out by old-looking furniture And it's like certainly that not
2: like just, clean, either.
3: Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's picked like up. ever sunlight right. in it. It's just, I don't know, it's dark and weird.
2: Yeah. I don't
3: know. It's
2: quite a life Judd's
3: living there. So I think it's also a good opportunity now to kind of give a suspension of disbelief warning oh, for the rest you of the movie. It. Yeah. Now, granted, you're thinking, well, this is a movie about bringing animals and people back from the dead. I don't know how much more disbelief, you know. Well, you need more. We'll
2: we'll tell you. Even in the context of that (laughs) idea,
3: the rest of this movie, you're just like, oh, man. Gage lures Judd upstairs. It's almost like Gage and Church now are like kind of this undead team up. That's right. (laughs) Going on. Gage is like hiding under a bed. And when Judd crouches down to look under the bed,
2: Gage cuts his Achilles tendon. Yeah, which is always gross. Yeah, it's a
3: pretty gross moment. Right. R.I.P. Judd. He can't fight off a baby. No,
2: and I love... Gauges just ruthlessness, not only cutting the Achilles tendon, but then just biting him in the throat.
3: Yeah, he slashes him across the face with the scalpel and then starts biting his throat. The way they did this was kind of funny because, you know, when you're working with a child actor, they can't make this kid do all these fucked up things. So right. they had to like. Although that
2: would have been really fucking cool if they had a kid just like slicing <laughs> Achilles tendons. <laughs> they kind of go between the actor, Miko
3: Hughes, and then also like a doll. Yeah. Back and forth. This is the first time that we get an actual look at what Gage is like now because they've kind of hidden his face when he, when his dad takes him out of the grave. We don't see his face when he gets the scalpel. It's done in like shadow. And he looks surprisingly okay, all things considered. <laughs> I mean, he yeah. has like a little He's, scar on his he- forehead. He was that's hit like by egg. a
2: truck and is now undead, and he seems, you know, yeah, he not seems much fairly worse. normal right. looking. <laughs> yeah.
3: Rachel gets dropped off right at the Creed house because obviously that Orenko truck was going to the same plant. I mean, kind of convenient for her that she hitched a ride. But instead of going to her house, she gets called over to Judd's by the haunting, disembodied voice of Zelda.
2: Oh, yeah. And you're just like, oh, no. Well, the weird thing about the return of Gage is like, it's not like Gage talks in the beginning of the movie when he's alive. Yeah, he does. Really? Not a lot. A little bit. Okay. He seems like... He has a deeper vocabulary and is, like, saying... Well, yeah. Well, right. I mean,
3: I think there's more going on
2: than just what was there before. Yeah. So then that
3: voice of Zelda, like, kind of blends into Gage laughing. And so
2: you would have to imagine... <laughs> Two signs of something that you shouldn't walk towards. Yeah, I mean,
3: if you're Rachel, at this point, you have to be Get on Get back the in that truck. ...brink of utter madness. Yeah.
2: I'd be telling that truck driver, I will go wherever with you. <laughs> Not here.
3: she never knew what she was headed towards there was never any hint that this was what she just knew the vague idea that something Something was wrong yeah she didn't know that all of a sudden gauge was going to be alive and that there'd be this supernatural thing that would somehow make her undead son also turn into her horrific monstrous dead sister yeah
2: (laughs) it's who it's hard to guess that
3: (laughs) it was on the tip of her tongue right just couldn't quite So she goes inside Judd's house. Zelda's moaning upstairs. She goes up there, opens the door to Judd's bedroom where he was just killed. She sees Zelda at first.
0: Job, I'm going to twist your back like mine, so you'll never get out of bed again. Never get out of bed again. Never get out of bed again. Never get out. out
2: this part pretty scary
3: nightmare fuel yeah. this is the scariest scene of the movie because right. zelda is now like kind of standing and it's intense and she kind of is like screaming at rachel and then runs towards her and that part where like zelda is actually like running because they do it where like the man playing uh zelda andrew Hubastank or whatever his name is wow. it's, like Hubestick or whatever yeah. he's like crashed down and it's like it's done in this weird way where it looks like Zelda's like this little thing running at her. It's yeah, that so part creepy. Is, yeah, it is. And especially seeing this as a kid, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> I know. Because that Because
3: there's an element to it where you understand even as a kid that spinal meningitis is real. That's what's scary about this. Yeah, because it just it's there's a little real. hint of this where you're like, This is real? Like this could happen. Yeah. And obviously not. But you start to think like, well, I know that that's a real disease. I know that you could die from it. Is you this could what happens?
2: <laughs> it's so awful. Later on down the line, you could somehow be involved with like an undead baby. <laughs> Who says I haven't? Right. So Zelda transforms in the gauge, dressed like that
3: fucking painting from Rachel's okay. parents' yes. house. Again, it kind of fits this setting of. Judd's horrible house, twisted fairy tale. Yeah. It's, it's like, true. what the fuck? Gage is like dressed almost like a girl. Like, it's like almost like a dress with that top hat, and he's holding something. <laughs> it's really
2: ridiculous. Yeah. It's crazy
3: because that's not really what Gage was wearing ever before, and it's not what gage is wearing later but in this one moment so it does have that kind of supernatural feel like that's more's going on just than him being a zombie it's more like mental for rachel too yeah and he's like i brought you something mommy and it's a scalpel and we don't actually yeah
2: you don't actually see she doesn't die on screen right
3: and i guess it's just like her complete disbelief of seeing what she's seeing that leaves her oblivious and vulnerable yeah I mean, her sanity at this point must be like gone. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, hanging by a thread, maybe. What the fuck is happening? Lewis finally wakes up and he sees the footprints in the his room that show that Gage was already there and took his scalpel.
2: uh oh, uh-oh. and <laughs> it's like oh boy, this is kind of weird, what have I though. done?
3: Yeah, because after everything that Lewis has done to get to this point, it's weird how quickly he decides he needs to end it all with Gage
2: and Church. Oh, like yeah. He's just almost immediately like this was a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> I was drunk <laughs> now that I've slept it off. Rachel's father calls and this alerts
3: Lewis to the fact that his wife has come back to Maine, oh, but no. he hasn't seen her. What he does see, however, are Gage's muddy footprints coming and going through the kitchen. So Lewis hangs up on Rachel's dad, but then Gage calls, which is insane.
2: True. So yeah. a
3: disbelief warning. Would, you wouldn't he's expect All of a sudden that. using right. the phone. <laughs> And he's like, I played with mommy, and now I want to play with you. <laughs> just like, so he's taunting him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I killed our mom. Now I'm going to kill you. Right. You douche. <laughs> Lewis prepares some lethal injections. He just
2: has that stuff hanging around the house. Well, he's a doctor. That's true. So Most first, he's got to take care of... Uh, lethally
3: inject people. Well, I think he's, it's morphine, and I think he just puts so much in okay. that it's like right. he would die. So first, he's got to take care of church.
0: Go on Lie down Play Dead
2: Be Dead
3: This is an insane scene where he's screaming at the cat.
2: Yeah. Be dead (laughs) Like all
3: right, dude. Just
2: a great I mean great acting, great directing, great writing certainly, all coming together. For a great moment. I do actually
3: think that Midkiff is not that bad in the scenes where he's, like, yelling. That's true. The part where he's, like, on his knees in the street yelling when Gage gets killed is actually not. It's believable. It feels real. Right. And this is, like, insane that it's happening, but I kind of am at least buying his emotion. There's other times in this movie where you're like, this is clearly fake. True. There's not even a hint of emotion on his face. But this isn't terrible. It's just weird that... He's saying it. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, Lewis goes in the Judd's house to find it all fucked up and like moldy looking and green, and like everything's broken and turned over. It's like very strange that this is happening. I don't like it. This is my least oh, favorite part weird. of the movie. Yeah, right? It's so dumb. It, it doesn't make any sense. What's well, almost like this evil is now causing hallucinations to the point of like the whole like setting being distorted in some way. I, I don't know. But he sees Rachel's shoe, and he picks it up, and then reality zaps back. Like, it's not fucked up and weird anymore. Right. It's almost like he's understanding now what's really happened.
2: It's like, oh, no, Rachel's
3: shoe. (laughs) First, there's a little bit more gauge taunting, like, come upstairs or whatever. Oh, yeah, I know. Then Lewis discovers uh, Judd's dead body, and he's like, oh, no. Fuck he sees like part of judd's face has been eaten which is fucked up yeah
2: somehow rachel has been hung this from is the really drop down insane. attic how are you gonna explain this this is why she has to die off screen right because it's just like imagine the sight of this this little baby and a cat dra- <laughs> dragging this body up to the attic and setting it up so that it's like yeah, he can like you know.
3: th- he can throw it down on top of Lewis. Right. Basically, like, yeah. here's your dead wife. <laughs> it,
2: yeah, it's insane. It,
3: I, I don't understand how any of this here's is happening. Dead
2: wife.
3: <laughs> yeah, how does that happen? I don't know. And then Gage is up there in the attic, and he f- like kind of flies down at Lewis. It's it doesn't Scalpel even look out. like a jump. Yeah, he's it looks doing like, like a Superman. Flying. Yeah. Obviously, this is the doll, and it has a very Chucky look to it. And I've always kind of this is
2: probably the worst looking thing in the movie.
3: I've always associated Gage from this movie as something similar to Chucky, and I think it's because of that. Moment. I think this
2: whole ending sequence kind of feels very Chucky esque, right? Even with the taunting and stuff. <laughs> yeah, maybe especially with the taunting. So
3: it's almost like Gage, because of what happened, being brought back to life has superpowers or something. Super Obviously. strength. Yeah, he's the the ability picking to fly. his mom. <laughs> they fight, and Gage almost wins, embarrassingly <laughs> enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, literally going fucking toe-to-toe with this toddler. And it's, it's just like... But I guess it's believable own own. if
3: he's strong enough to actually pull his mom up there and then fly. And I don't know, I guess he does have actual superpowers, but I, I don't know.
2: But, yeah, but that is one of the things, is like, he gets like the surprise on Judd, and then... You know, is able to catch his mom off guard. But, like, Lewis is, came ready for a fight. Right. And it's just, like, the fact that he can barely hang with a baby, it's its its not great for Lewis.
3: Gage is kind of slipping between being an evil zombie and just a regular baby. But now Lewis has to actually kill his own son, which he does by giving him the injection in his neck. And I think it's kind of unbelievable how good this actor is that plays Gage in this whole sequence they got him to do everything that's true he needed him he's it like is a surprising kid right and he's like not fair not fair yeah it's like backing up and falling down and all that stuff i don't know but honestly lewis you fucking idiot it was so <laughs> oh, terrible no. that your son died right but now you had to kill your son should son, be the end hey you know what sometimes dead is better
2: yeah seriously Judd was right he had that one so lewis is like i gotta burn this motherfucker because
3: how the fuck does anyone, let alone Lewis or anyone involved, whether it's the police well, it or Well, he certainly doesn't people, have to take him back to how the cemetery. Could anyone explain this? Right. <laughs> what has happened here? Yeah. How could you ever piece together what actually happened? It'd be like, wait a minute, this is a dead little boy that had been dead a few days and then he's here. And he somehow. came back
2: and murdered two people?
3: Well, I mean, they would never reach that conclusion. They would just yeah. be like, Well, somebody dug him up and brought him in and then also killed these other people. Yeah. It'd be like some Ed Gein shit. Seriously. (laughs) He burns the house down with Judd and Gage in it, but he takes Rachel out, and Lewis convinces himself that since Rachel just died recently, that there's still time to bury her in the Micmac burial ground and have it turn out okay. Because now, I mean, he's clearly insane. Well, yeah. Pascal returns one last time with a final warning, but is ignored of course. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, at this point, Lewis Pascal, is like, come on. come on." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. Lewis is going to bring his wife yeah, back. Don't even bother Complete anymore. madness. This is almost like the third wish. And I was kind of wondering, is this just a wish for death? Does he know how this is going to play out? Like, he, Could he be. almost just is wanting to die at this point. I
2: mean, it seems like the next logical choice.
3: And I'll swing back to what I mean by third wish in a minute. But, I mean, how much grief can someone endure at this point his son has died twice his wife is dead his friend is dead his wife
2: was killed by his undead son that he brought back right and it spiraled from a fucking cat basically
3: i mean maybe he didn't believe that at first he thought okay we did this fucked up thing with this cat but then my son died and it was an accident but the idea has been planted, and now he—I guess—he understands on some level that it all started with a cat, and now here we are. True, yeah. <laughs> so no one comes to put out that fire, really, which I always found weird, because we—he go <laughs> yeah. obviously takes Rachel all the way to the burial ground. And he comes back. It's dark out all of a sudden, and that fire is just kind of still burning across That's the true. street. Yeah. No one is there. Right. Trucks are passing. You would think, volunteer firefighters at least, someone would be, would be like, up. "Hey, we." Somebody should show up. Let's do something. They're like, nah, just let it burn itself out. Who
2: cares?
3: (laughs) It'll rain and, you know, it'll go out. The last scene of the movie is great. I love it. I love the ending of this movie. This was another hook for me as a kid. I was just like so in on the end of this. Lewis just playing solitaire by himself on the kitchen floor. Kind of the clock ticking time going by all of a sudden the back door is opening <laughs>
2: well here she comes
3: rachel returns in the dead of night she looks real fucked up
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> honey you've never a liquid
3: oozing out of like her one eye i mean she looks so fucked up it's like what the fuck did gage do to her i don't know it is weird but part of it i guess is just being digging yourself out i don't know she's all fucked up it's gross and they kiss which is also gross
2: yeah it's not
3: great and then as this is happening like as this moment is building up towards the end well okay we'll just say first that she does grab the knife and right she swings it at lewis and it kind of ends on a freeze there and he screams and then it cuts into the ramon song but leading into that judd's voiceover he says the soil of a man's heart is stonier, lewis a man grows what he can and he tends it because what you buy is what you own and what you own always comes home to you and this is a very like stephen kingism thing okay that's kind of recurs throughout the novel and i would say based on my own interpretations and kind of looking into it a little bit and thinking about it in the context of the book and the movie i would say it's harder for a man to love or open up or find emotions or really reveal themselves even in the context of a marriage but what does take hold in their hardened hearts is tough and requires nurturing like a difficult garden. And it kind of explains Lewis's inability to cope with the death of his son. And he's really just fucked up tending this garden, this family, this thing that he has.
2: Yeah, it hasn't gone great.
3: Because if you compare his reaction to Rachel and Ellie's over the death of Gage, I mean, they were sad, but their grief was normal. And Lewis. Yeah.
2: It was a ghost. Looking back, it's just like, you know what? We would have just lost a cat. <laughs> I think it well, could have been Well, that fun. is
3: weird to me that you can put so much of the blame of this onto Judd. But, you you know, you can look into Judd's heart. Like, what was going on with him? And, I mean, I think in the novel they do a better job of exploring, like, yeah. the dark hearts of both men rather than just Lewis. But grief well, yeah, and death. Well, yeah,
2: because, again, I mean, his acting is so weird that time when he's like bringing lewis out to bury the cat the first time it, it feels like he's up to something yeah because Just, he's not right explaining himself yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's very secretive
3: and this is like a, a thing built on like the secrets that people have and grief and death are major major themes and the second part of that quote the what you buy is what you own and what you own always comes home to you that's pretty self-explanatory you know it's about reaping what you sow living with your choices your mistakes and the consequences and lewis just really fucked up and then let it all slip away from him and judd is also partly to blame as we said but lewis i think is given enough indications by pascal and then by judd who realizes his mistake and they're like don't do this yes but he messed it up. I mean, he didn't mm. understand the consequences. So let's talk very quickly here about the Wendigo. Please. I yeah. think that... <laughs> need to hear more about that. I think that the reason that Gage doesn't kill Lewis is Lewis is, Lewis is already complicit. Like, Lewis is hooked. Oh, yeah. They want to They're going to get more Lewis. out of him. And so he basically is like... He throws the fight, Gage. Right. He's like, kill me. Because he knows. The spirit knows that... He's gonna bury his wife there, and he oh, wants yeah. to be in a bigger, better body. They've got him. It's almost like the doll in Chucky, right? Wants to get into a better body. Oh yeah. That spirit started in the cat, maybe I don't know, but the cat was still alive, so I don't know. But it, the, the 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 Wendigo was engaged, and then the Wendigo is gonna be in Rachel, and it wants to be in a better body. So it's almost like that description of what a Wendigo is that I read was like a spirit who has possessed a human and made them become monstrous. That could easily be the description of what oh, yeah. those characters are. And so that is like the possibility it's never even mentioned in the movie, but they still kind of kept some of those basic little things there where you're like, that's kind of the same idea as the book. And you can kind of read into that's why they're fucked up. That's why the ground is sour. Now the Mac Indians stopped using it because it got infected got by tainted. the wind Yeah. The original story, pet cemetery is kind of inspired by this short story called the monkey's paw. Uh, it's a story by WW w. Jacobs from 1902 in the story. Three wishes are granted to the owner of the monkey's paw, but the wishes come with an enormous price for interfering with fate. So like they wish for things and then it's fucked up basically. Oh, yeah. And the first wish is for the cat to come back. The second wish is for gauge to come back. And the third wish is for the wife to come back or for death. And that's what I was wondering. It's like, you know, is that third wish, is that actually for death? Is there any part of his mind at that point that thinks this is going to work out? I don't know.
2: Yeah, who knows?
3: I think it's a fun movie, but, you know. It is I, a fun I, movie. I do think it probably does matter when you see things like this for the first time, like how much impact it's going to have on you. I
2: definitely think it would have scared me a lot as a kid. And again, I mean, I could, I don't know if it was just like other younger people that I had known that like did see this movie and would like tell me about it. But it is just the the general idea of it is kind of freaky. Like just even just knowing about a place where they bury pets is kind of weird for a kid to think about. I mean,
3: I think it's kind of considered like second tier as far as Stephen King adaptations. It's obviously not held up to the same as like Carrie or The Shining or something like that. But. I don't know. For me, it's one of my favorites because I've read all of those books. I've read The Shining. I read Carrie. I read all those. But for me, Pet Cemetery and It were the two my two favorites. Yeah. And so I'm partial to the movie too. And like I said, I I also enjoy the sequel, which is ridiculous. Has no carryover from this movie. Yeah, whatsoever. maybe we'll do that one day on here. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they are remaking it. Pet Cemetery Two. <laughs> <laughs> the who knows it'll probably be remade. a combo of both no i they were doing a remake because now because of the the new it from last year you know stephen king adaptations are going to be hot again for all a while. right here we go so finally this has been in like pre-production for forever but they've actually filmed it it's coming out next year in april I don't know. I, I mean, I don't really have high hopes. Although I do think this is the right time to remake it. I mean, there are parts you could improve upon from the original. I would say so. I think acting a, comes to mind. I do think that there's no way that they make the Zelda scene as good as this one. Probably not. No, they'll probably resort to something dumb. Yeah.
2: Do you think like the kid will be like all CGI? Like yes. Yeah.
3: That's the thing. Like I just think. I don't know. Are they going to embrace some of the more taboo elements in this, like, super PC world? Know. Are you going to be so able to make somebody who has a disease be a monster, basically? Or is that going to be frowned upon? And
2: <laughs> I'm sure a lot will be frowned upon. <laughs> yeah,
3: I mean, I made the cultural appropriation joke, but are people going to think that's offensive? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Can't have anything fun
2: anymore. That's true. It's just a movie. Well, people. we got this podcast.
3: All right, so thank you for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Yeah. We have a huge,
2: lot of good stuff in October store for the month.
3: month. Yeah. So be excited. This is just the first of many episodes to come this month. It's going to be a wild ride. And on that note, we'll see you
2: next week. Under the with the boats, In Chicago's, and come at the grand life making a Never death is all around And at night when the cold wind blows, no one cares. to the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Moulding some fangs clicking the clicking picking up bones Spirits morning among the tombstones And at night when the moon is bright Someone cries for the right I don't want to be buried In a pet cemetery
0: Be buried in a bed, sanitary I don't want to live my life again Oh, budders, I miss you so much! <gasps> Mr. Starch, I know what you're thinking You're thinking thoughts, that's not thought of, Lois Who are you? I came to talk you out of it. You need to just accept that your son is dead, not try to bring him back. I know you're thinking of putting him up there, the Indian burial ground up that road. You're thinking of putting him up there? Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind, Lewis. You're thinking if you bury his body there, it will come back to life. Sometimes dead is better. Indian burial ground? You asked me. Anyone ever buried a person up there on the Mi'kmaq grounds? It's been done before, what you're thinking of? Name was Timmy Baderman. You're saying if I dig up my son's body and rebury him at the old Indian burial ground that I- Don't do it, stop The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. What comes out of the ground ain't the thing you put in. The Indians knew that. If they stopped using that burial ground, the ground went sour. That's why they stopped using it when the ground went sour. I'm just here to talk you out of it. Don't bury your son's body at the Indian burial ground, Starch. The one that's right up over there, behind the Anderson's barn. Sometimes... Dad is better. Dad is better.